It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on a Friday morning with you on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, we're going to look at the interior defensive line rankings from Pro Football Focus and where specifically Grady Jarrett falls. How many guys on the Falcons can find their way to becoming elite? And we're going to put some expectations on the 13-game stretch for the Mets and the Braves because as we've discussed often, this is the time to make a move. All that, it's a Friday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Always asking you to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your search browser, subscribe to our YouTube channel, leave us a comment, give us your thoughts about what we are talking about. Free and available to download, and all of your podcast platforms is where you can find us as well. Spotify, Odyssey, always free and available there. And follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We've been talking about that word elite and been looking at some of the different positional rankings for the Atlanta Falcons. We were talking about Kyle Pitts the other day, and is he elite as he's listed on Pro Football Focus's elite tight end list? So Pro Football Focus also came out here recently with their interior defensive line rankings in tiers. And I think it's interesting as well, because let's start with what they list here. First off, their tier one, they put, they call it a one of one, and that is Aaron Donald by himself in that group. Now, I don't think any savvy football fan at all or even casual football fan would dispute that Aaron Donald is far and away the most elite of elite interior defensive linemen in the NFL. There is nobody else like him. That's why anytime people make comparisons to what Aaron Donald does, I always used to say this about when people would compare teams to the New England Patriots and the way they operate. There's never been and there's never probably going to be anybody like what the Patriots run was. Aaron Donald's probably in that category too. You're never probably going to see a 20 sack interior defensive lineman. You might see some guys who, you know, come up with, you know, eight or 10 sacks in a year here or there, but to consistently be 12, 15, 18 to 20 sacks, we're never going to see that. So I'm in 100% agreement. He is the elite of the elite. Then they put on their tier two, the guys that are elite. So number two, they have is Cameron Hayward of Pittsburgh. Number three is Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. Number four is DeForest Bunkner of the Indianapolis Colts. And at number five, and in their elite category, is Grady Jarrett of the Atlanta Falcons. Quick write-up. Prior to 2021, Grady uh, rattled off four straight years of 80-plus PFF grades with the Falcons and established himself as one of the best all-around interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Jarrett fell off slightly from that level in 2021, but still profiles as Atlanta's only defensive lineman who offenses have to worry about. Now, uh, and they talk about Jarrett's 93 quarterback pressure since 2020 are more than any other Falcons player on the roster. In fact, it's over 50. Okay, with all due respect, that last line, that's like telling me that you're the nicest guy on death row. To say that Grady Jarrett has the most quarterback pressures in the last few years, that's like being the tallest dwarf. 
Okay. With all due respect to Stephen Means and Dante Fowler and every, again, me and Stephen Means share a lot in common. Both of us had no sacks for the Atlanta Falcons last year. And he only beat me by three quarterback pressures last year. Okay. So we, we understand and establish all that. So the question I ask you today is Grady Jarrett is listed as elite. Is he elite? Now, I said the other day when Kyle Pitts was listed in the elite category that I did not think that he was elite yet. I did not think he was in the same category as George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, some of these top-tier tight ends, even Mark Andrews, Darren Waller. I don't think he's hit that level yet. Is Grady Jarrett elite? I say yes. I think Grady is still an elite interior defensive lineman. Now, I know what people are going to say. Well, you know, Chuck, he didn't have a good year. I get that. Here's what I want you to do for all of you people that love to tell me about you put on tape and this, and this. here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on the Detroit Lions game. Okay. From last year, put on the Detroit Lions game. And I also want you to put on the version that has Grady Jarrett mic'd up so you can listen to him because what you're going to see is at times in that game that there were not one, not two, three offensive linemen that were blocking Grady Jarrett. Let me repeat that three offensive linemen that were blocking Grady Jarrett. And the reason that I want you to get it with the audio from Grady Jarrett, because he was mic'd up during that game, is I want you to hear specifically when he says, quote, damn, how many more guys are you going to throw at me? The fact that Grady Jarrett eats up three offensive linemen should tell you all you need to know, not even so much about Grady Jarrett, but how absolutely positively dreadful the rest of their defensive line has been. Grady is that kind of caliber of player. Again, is Grady Jarrett Aaron Donald? Nope. Is Cam Hayward or any of those other guys I mentioned, Chris Jones, or any of those guys Aaron Donald? Nope. So we're not going to compare him to any of those guys. But you look at what Grady Jarrett brings to this team. He still is a guy that can blow up plays in the backfield, still a guy that gets in the backfield for tackles for loss. And look, he's still a guy who can give me five to six sacks. Is he as good as he was maybe a year or two ago? I don't know. Are any of us as good as we were a year or two ago? I have no problem with Grady Jarrett. And the fact that the Falcons decided to extend him and get this thing done. We talked about this on the show as well. Grady is one of those core important pieces. We talk about all the cap space and this, that, and the other. Well, Arthur Smith's number one comment way back after the Matt Ryan trade and all that was, we need to free up cap space to sign our guys. Not to go out and way overpay for free agents that may or may not help you based upon things they did in the past. We have to sign our own guys. What was the first thing that they did? Sign Grady Jarrett to an extension. And a reasonable one at that. I mean, forget the money part of it, but you signed Grady Jarrett to a very reasonable extension. But more importantly is you gave Grady, you gave, excuse me, Grady Jarrett fair market value and you kept them around your franchise. And that was important. And those are guys that you just can't lose on your franchise. You can't give up guys that are part of the solution and the core of your football team because these guys think that they're going to be good in the next few years, shorter rather than later. They're not looking at this as some long process to get really good. They think this is going to be a short-term thing, that they're going to be bad, or I shouldn't even say that because they don't even believe that. They're not going to be where they want to be in a year or two. And I think you have to look at, the bigger picture with Grady Jarrett. I do believe that he is still in that elite category. And when I think you talk about in the realm of the Chris Joneses and DeForest Bunkners, you know, Cam Haywards, you're talking about some guys a little bit older, some guys a little bit younger. Grady falls right into that group. 
There's no reason that if you can't get some help around Grady Jarrett, just think about if, if I understand this is a big if, but if Lorenzo Carter and Ebba Katie and hell, if you can get anything out of Marlon Davidson or one of those guys, right? If any of those guys can begin to start to contribute to the defensive line play, getting to the quarterback, contain, if nothing else, just contain and stay in your lanes and contain the quarterback in the pocket. If you can get any sort of help for Grady Jarrett, there's no reason why that he can't get back to where he was. But if it's another season of whatever, and I hate to say it this way, but let's say Ebicady flames out. Lorenzo Carter really isn't that guy. Lorenzo Carter plays more like the guy at the very beginning of the season than he did at the very end of the season. Whatever that is, if it flames out like that, then it's back to here are three offensive linemen blocking Grady Jarrett, and here's Grady saying, damn, how many more guys are you going to throw at me? So I do think that Grady is still elite, and I think he's one of the most important pieces that you have on this roster. I'm glad they extended him. Let's see if he can finally get some help on the defensive line. All right, when we come back, I want to kind of look at elite players within the division and who might be the next guy that can become elite for the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about that next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com and find Locked On Sports Atlanta. Put it in your browser. Search us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Be a part of the community. Leave us a comment there. Of course, we are also free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Odyssey. You can always find us free and available on any of your platforms. And follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Elite, 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 right? We talk about that word all the time. But the reality is in the NFL, you have to have elite players. You have to have game-wrecking difference makers. You know, it's good to have some role players in the NFL, but you have to have top-tier guys. You have to have guys that grade out really high, perform at a high level, and are some of the best of the best of the best of the best, to quote Will Smith, at their position. So when we talk about this, you know, I, I've said for years that, when, when you get into the NFL draft, I don't care necessarily about how many starters you get. I don't care about quantity. Tell me about quality. And the thing about the Falcons is right now, they don't have the quality players. They, and, and they don't have enough of high caliber players. Yeah, they, oh, we got four guys that can start. Cool. Are they any good? You know, Jalen Mayfield's a starter, except that he's the worst interior pass blocking offensive lineman in the entire of the NFL. He's a starter right? But is he a quality starter? And that's what I look at. So, and this is very subjective, okay? So I don't really care if it's one or two more, one or two less, but I think that this is somewhat fairly accurate. I was going through the rosters of other teams in the NFC South, okay? And let's face it, you know, the Panthers are not a very good franchise right now. You know, the Saints are in a lot of flux and transition. When we talk about elite players, you know, they just lost an elite player, you know, last season when Drew Brees retired, right? So they're a roster that's sort of in flux. And Tampa Bay is a couple of years removed from a Super Bowl team, and they did bring several of their guys back. So I went through and I looked and I tagged what I thought were the number of elite players. Guys that, and and this is subjective because, for instance, I'm going to tell you, I put Christian McCaffrey in the elite status. Now, is he been elite in the last year or two because of injury and things like that? No, but there's no doubt that he has the ability 
to be an elite level player. And he has been an elite level player. And he's not so far removed from being elite that you keep him out of the discussion. Same thing with Michael Thomas in, in New Orleans. He's still an elite wide receiver. Yes, hurt and sitting out and this, that. I get it. But his talent is elite level. Okay. With all due respect to the Falcons, there's not a pass catcher on their roster that's better than Michael Thomas. Okay. Now, whether he's got his head right, those are all separate discussions. But for the purposes of what I'm talking about, let's look at elite level players that these rosters have. So I gave the Saints six guys. Okay. And, and again, without getting into who they are and this and the other, I went through and did a rough count that I think that there are six elite level players, whether that's Ryan Ramzik, Michael Thomas, Lattimore, okay, guys like that. I think that there are six guys on the New Orleans Saints. On the Carolina Panthers, I think that there are five guys. You look at their defensive line and their linebacking core, I think DJ Moore is right there. DJ Moore is a tremendous wide receiver who when you figure how bad his quarterback play is, when I say bad, I'm substituting that for the world god-awful dreadful with Sam Darnold and Cam Newton and the guys they've trotted out there the last couple of years. Teddy Bridgewater, for God's sakes. The fact that this guy's a 1,400-yard wide receiver in the league with that tells you about how good that he is. I don't care where he grades out. He's an elite-level type of wide receiver. The Buccaneers, well, that's a whole nother matter. Um, I gave them eight guys, and maybe I'm being undervalued. Because I'm not even sure if I put Vita Vea in there or not. And I don't know how many guys you yeah, but obviously there's there there are some no-brainers. Mike Evans is an elite level player. Tom Brady is the greatest player in the history of the NFL, the single most important player in the history of the NFL, right? When I look at how many players that the Falcons have that I think are elite or could be in that category, I've got three. And that's AJ Terrell, Pitts, and Grady. I think that's the only guys right now that you could make some kind of argument for, are they elite? Okay. Now, who are the next guys that could become elite? You know, I always talk about, you know, look at the Bucks roster, for instance. Okay. A couple of years ago in the draft, when, when Brady first got there, a couple, three, whatever it's been now, a couple, three years ago, when Brady first got there, their first two draft picks, they traded up one spot. They traded with San Francisco, swapped picks, literally just swapped picks with the 49ers, and they drafted Tristan Wirfs. Is Tristan Wirfs elite? Well, let me see. First team all rookie in his in his first year. First team all NFL in his second year. You're damn right he's elite, and he's as good an offensive lineman as there is in the NFL. And then in the second round, they drafted Antoine Winfield. Antoine Winfield is a magnificent player. He's an elite caliber player. Don't get it twisted. He's as good a safety as there is in the handful of guys that are left as safeties in the NFL. Winfield is right up there with anybody. That's two guys that they drafted, okay? So maybe after a year or so, maybe they weren't exactly elite, but these guys within a couple of years became elite players. Who's next for the Atlanta Falcons? Because if the Falcons are going to get back to where we think they need to be, you have to find elite players. I think the next guy is Chris Lindstrom. And I, I'm going to argue this to the day that Lindstrom retires. Lindstrom is the most undervalued, underappreciated guy on the Falcons roster. The fact that he gave up no sacks and played as well as he did and was one of the top four graded offensive line guards, I should say, in the league with two slugs next to him. 
when you put McGarry and Hennessy and you stand two, you know, pinto bean tomato can guys next to him and the fact that Lindstrom is as good as he is, he's not nearly thought about well enough, you know, around some of the league circles and stuff because it's easy to look at him and say, well, the offensive line is so bad. Oh, but Lindstrom's pretty good, I guess. But he's, you know, to quote my friend Hugh Douglas, well, he's good amongst a, a bunch of bad guys, okay? Um, you can still be elite and be amongst a bunch of bad guys. Okay. He's not a guy that you're saying is the nicest guy in on death row. Okay. So I think Lindstrom has a chance to be elite. Could Arnold Ebicady become elite for this team? If he can think about how good Grady Jarrett and some of these other guys have the chance to be. So I think he's a candidate to be a guy who can become elite. Drake London is going to have to be a guy that becomes elite. You can't, you can't draft a guy that high at number eight and not have him become an elite level type of player. And again, we can talk about quarterback and this, then, and the other, but I'll point you back to DJ Moore and how productive he is for the Carolina Panthers offense with all the, you know, vagabond interloping quarterbacks that he's got over these last couple few years. So Drake London has to become elite. If this team is going, you, you invested way too high in your pass catching group to not have one of those other guys become elite. After that, I don't know. And see, that's the, that's the problem is I look at this roster and I say, how much better and how much room for growth do some of these guys have? Now, when I say Ebicady and Drake London, that's two rookies this year. That's that's your first two draft picks in this draft. Are they elite yet? Of course not. They haven't stepped up, made they haven't stepped on one football field, made one single play or whatever like that. But you need those guys to become elite. And I do think that they have the capabilities. But outside of Chris Lindstrom, who do you look at on this roster and say, okay, that's an elite level guy? Casey Hayward's an aging quarterback. He's not elite. I love Jalen Hawkins and I love Richie Grant. I don't know enough to tell you that they have the elite level status in them. I love Michael Walker. I like the Troy Anderson pick, you know, and okay, I'm fine with Carter and Rashawn Evans and those guys. I don't know that they have that elite level in them yet. I certainly know take one Graham, Marlon Davidson haven't done anything to show me that they're ready to be elite yet. Offensive line. Does anybody get confused about Mayfield, Hennessy and McGarry? I don't think any of those guys have eliteness in them. So, you better hope that your first two draft picks this year become elite level players because outside of Chris Lindstrom, there aren't a lot of other good options on this roster to start putting in that elite category. And that's the thing the Falcons have to get. They have to find more guys who are at the top of the food chain at their positions in this league. All right. When we come back expectations for the Braves and Mets over a 13 game stretch that we told you started yesterday. Talk about that next. Hitting hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This Locked On podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting 
shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Welcome back into Hidden Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, asking you to head over to YouTube.com. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Just put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your browser. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about the show. And don't forget, we are free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Odyssey, all of your platforms. Go over there. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you think about the uh, program. We really appreciate your help in growing our community every day. And then I ask you to follow me on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. All right, today is June 3rd. Remember what I said yesterday was? Yesterday was sort of the D-Day. This is where things have to change. This is where the battlefield changes for the Braves and the Mets. So let's recap. The Braves last night started a series in Colorado against the low-life Colorado Rockies, which they beat their brains out last night, 13-6, to and Darno had... Nice to know that the Braves are listening to me after I said it's time to play Contreras and maybe sit Darno for a little bit to get Contreras's bat in there. Darno goes out and hits six RBIs, hits two homers, including a grand slam. You're welcome, Atlanta. This is what I do. If you don't learn one thing about me, is that people listen and guys listen to me and they take it personal. So anyway, we'll take credit for that uh, last night. But the Braves start a four-game set in Colorado. So we're going to look at a 13-game stretch. Four in Colorado come home and play two with the Oakland A's. Then they play four with the low-life Pittsburgh Pirates and then three games in Washington against the miserable, dreadful, awful Washington Nationals. Colorado, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Washington. 13 games against the low-life vagabond, interloping, dreadful, you know, pond water, you know, low-life amoebas of the earth in Major League Baseball, Okay. Then, as we described, the Mets last night, who, by the way, got shut out. Oh, so now it's nine and a half games. They have their four in Los Angeles, three in San Diego, three against the California Angels. And I don't care what they're called. Gene Autry called them the California Angels. I call them the California Angels. And then three back home with division leading Milwaukee. So that 13 game stretch at LA at San Diego against the angels uh, on the road, and then three back home with Milwaukee. So what should we expect in both of those teams, 13 game stretches? So the Braves will wrap up that 13 game stretch on the 16th of June. The Mets will wrap it up on the 17th of June. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. The Braves at worst, at worst should be 10 and three. And I'm actually looking for 11 and two. Now, I understand the Braves haven't won three games in a row. I understand that they've been as inconsistent as could be. I understand that they didn't even win the series in Arizona against the low-life Arizona Diamondbacks, okay? But this has to be the time because much like we describe in sports at times, if not now, when? There is no better stretch on the schedule until, you know, again, without getting way down the road and getting into too late of a point. With a 10-and-a-half game lead going into last night, there's not a better stretch of games to really start to chip in and make up games in the division, okay? People just seem to not want to understand that it's more than just the Braves winning. The Mets have to lose, 
you know, you, there's an old saying in geometry or math or whatever the hell it is that parallel lines never intersect one another. Okay. If I have two parallel lines running infinity, nothing is ever going to change. Something has to change. And so I'm going to tell you in this 13 game stretch, the Braves at a minimum have to be 10 and three best case 11 and two. I think the Mets are going to go somewhere around five and eight. So let's just even use five and eight. And I think a best case scenario for the Mets is six and seven. I think that's their best case scenario because I think some reality of not having DeGrom and Scherzer and some of those things, and you're on the road and it's top tier elite town. Remember the Mets are the number two scoring team in major league baseball. How many runs did they score last night? Zero. Oh, okay. And you know what they get to face, you know, and I, again, I have not gone through all the pitching matchups and, and all that kind of stuff. Let me look uh, real quick. Oh yeah. They do have Walker Bueller that they have to see. Oh, they're going to see Ian. They're going to see uh, Blake Snell. Oh, they're going to see you Darvish. Oh, okay. So they're going to see, oh, they're going to see Noah Syndergaard. Oh, you don't think he's going to be pumped up to play those guys again? And then of course, you know, it's Corbin Burns and all the guys. So they're going to see top tier pitching talent. And that vaunted offense that has been so good isn't facing the Nationals and some of those dreadful, awful, godforsaken teams in Major League Baseball. So let's use best case scenario for the Mets, worst case scenario for the Braves. Worst case scenario, 10 and three. Best case scenario for the Mets, six and seven. That's a four game swing. So if you can find a way to pick up at least four games, between last night and the 17th. So we're talking about a two-week stretch, right? That's that's where we're at is in a two-week stretch, can you pick up four games? You better. You, you, you better get at least yourself four games and make this a manageable division because if you come out of this stretch of 13 games and you've picked up one or none, or two games is it. You know what happens to the Mets? The Mets go back after Milwaukee to play in Miami. Then they've got some with Houston, but it's Miami. And then it's the low-life Texas Rangers. And then it's the god-awful, dreadful, miserable, dreg of the universe, Cincinnati Reds. And then it's the Marlins, okay? And then when we get to almost middle of July on the 11th, then the Braves finally get their shot at Truist Park against them. But again, they're going to play the friggin' Marlins 4, 7, 11 times to go along with Texas and Cincinnati. They're not going to lose a whole bunch of crap games. You know what else happens as we get to July 11th and all that kind of stuff? Let me look at my uh, watch here real quick and, and see. Oh, yeah. That's going to be about the time that, I don't know, Scherzer, DeGrom, and these guys start to make their way back to the Mets. Are the Mets going to be worse because Scherzer and DeGrom came back? Um, I'm going to seriously doubt that. So that's why I keep putting the emphasis on you have to make up games now. I don't want to hear about, well, I got plenty of time and we're not having... I don't want to hear that nonsense. That's not how baseball works. You, you, you have to look at baseball in 
chunks and stretches. You have to isolate little stretches over 162 game season. You have to look at spurts and stops and things like that. You have to break it down into eight or 10 or 12 game stretches of, oh, wow, our schedule really lightens up. Their schedule gets really hard and vice versa. We're going to play some really good teams. They're playing the dregs of the universe. That's how you have to look at it because that's how you have to get yourself back into it. Okay. You can't think about, you can't think about, well, don't worry in all in the middle of August, things will be really. Oh, so you've got that all figured out or whatever like that. I'm living in the here and now I have to attack this from the here and now, because if I wait till the middle of August to decide that now I have to put my foot on the gas pedal, that's too late. And remember all you nudniks that talk about, well, I wait till Memorial Day before I look at the standings. Okay, well, we're past that. Well, you know, I, I wait, I, you know, June is when I start looking. Okay, well, we're in June now. Well, yeah, 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 you know, I wait for a third of the season to be played. Okay, that's Saturday. At some point, all of your goalposts that you move a thousand times has to start leading to something. And this 13-game stretch, if the Braves can pick up four to six games, now we've got a whole new race and now you put all the pressure on the Mets that, whoa, all of a sudden, here come the Braves and here come the World Series champions. All right, we thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chucker your first listen every day. We ask you to make ATL Day Ones your second listen every day. My friends Jarvis Davis, Tanitra Batiste, great conversation between those two, speaking to the heart of the city of Atlanta, Braves, Falcons, Hawks, Bulldogs, everything that you could want around Atlanta sports and more. That is free and available on our YouTube page. Just head over to YouTube.com, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Subscribe and you will find their show as well. And of course, we're all free and available on your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Odyssey, Pick all of the ones that you like. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you think about the show. And again, I ask you to follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Hope everybody has a great weekend. We will be back with you on Monday. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.